0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com recommend today. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike
2: Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the Good Gardening stroll shortly. But right now, if you have questions, concerns, or comments about any of your plant material, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And Mr. Kelly. Yes, sir. We, the other day, parked next to a Tesla. Yeah. And uh, we couldn't figure out how those door handles work. It looks like, do
4: you push them in? Do you-, you, have to, you have to be in the club. I I could tell you, but then I would have to run over you. No. Uh, Actually, because you have a a key, your key is a card, like a credit card, and you have a phone app. When you walk up to the car, it recognizes you. Oh, my gosh. And so you just put your thumb on the handle and it pops out and you pull the door open. Whoa. Yes. It knows that you are its owner. Wow. I know. It's pretty scary. <laughs> Soon they will be ruling the world. <laughs> it's kind of funny because I drive two cars. Sue usually drives the Tesla, and right. I drive a Ford. And, like, with a Tesla, you don't have keys. Right. So when you get somewhere, you push the button to park it, and you get out. Well, I get out, and the other car is still running. And, I, oh, wait, I got to turn it <laughs> off and take it. The key. (laughs) So you have to be very talented. Well, you got to remember which car you're driving. Now, the other thing is that the Tesla has what they call a regenerative braking, so that when you take your foot off the accelerator, it actually brakes. So when it's working right, it doesn't work 100% all the time, so you got to use the brake every now and then. But most of the time when you come up to a stop sign or just want to slow down, all you have to do is take your foot off the accelerator, and the car slows down for you. Another thing you have to remember when you're driving a gas guzzler that it doesn't stop for you. You have to stop the car. So there are some little things uh, that you have to kind of make sure you're which car you're driving. Those nuances I
3: couldn't get you know oh, you, track with.
4: You would love it. You would you would love it. It's such a fun car to drive.
3: It would just scare me though if I'm walking and my car goes hi Mike.
4: <laughs> well, it doesn't talk yet. Oh, it does. You can oh. talk in it though. It does have a speaker. And so you can, it's called a megaphone. And when it's in park, you can hit the megaphone and talk and it will come out. And like, hi, my name is Buddy. That's our, do- our car's name is Buddy. Oh, it is. So yeah, so I'll say, my name is Buddy. How are you? Or something. And people look around, what the heck is that? So yeah, there's all kinds of games you can play with it. It's wow. a lot of fun. Yeah.
3: So it's entertaining as well as being Oh a yeah,
4: It's got video games you can play while you're sitting there. I was, you know, and I take Sue somewhere and she runs in someplace. I get out and try to play the buggy game and I'm terrible at it. I crash all the time. But it's fun. Yeah, it's it's, it's all kinds of fun.
3: Yeah, we just saw those door handles like that. What yeah. the heck?
4: People don't know how to get in. They're like, what do I do? Well, you got to be you got to be in the club, man.
3: Uh, I'm not worthy. <laughs> oh, yes you are. Thanks, Brian. It is Saturday morning. We get together and we have a discussion about what's going on in your landscape, your yard. And if you have any questions or concerns about any of that, just give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'll share my thoughts and ideas and help you to orchestrate and solidify your options. But if the final judgment is going to be... On your shoulders, on what action you take. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is James. Good to see him. He's producing, so he answers the phone, pushes all the buttons and everything else. And I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994 and come to your home and do landscape consultations, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. My email address and phone number are right there, so that's where I can be reached. Also, a couple people have called me, and uh, I didn't get back to them. Some days I just have to take time off because Tracy and I have to do stuff, and we like to have some fun. And with a job like this, which is good, I mean, plant material is year-round, 24 hours a day, basically. I'm exaggerating, of course. But anyway, so you know if i don't call you right back i'm sorry but i will get back in touch with you so anyway today's good gardening stroll is brought to you by st. louis composting 636-861-3344 a little bit of, a little south of sydney and 13th street street trees ginkgo flowering pears and locusts among others the sound of highway 55 is just to the west of where you are numerous varieties of birds say who cares about that highway there? We've got this place, this great park, and it's parents and young birds all together, and it's really good. And it's Marty Murph Abusi Park, and there's massive elms provide a ceiling on the north end of the park. There's a Norway spruce with hundreds of pine cones underneath it, and that highlighting the pagoda. Also is daffodils, which have finished... Flowering and uh, the foliage is there waiting to be cut, but it doesn't have to be. That's a personal call. There's sp- uh, there's Russian sage there, there's spireas, there's some variegated euonymus that have been pretty cut back heavily, but they're really old. So sometimes plant material just gets past the prime. There's metal benches that offer respite, there's birch trees, there's burning bushes, more spruce. A clump of iris, American holly, says hi. Austrian pines, which has... I couldn't tell exactly what kind of vines it was. There's Virginia creeper on it, and there was a couple other things, but I didn't see any poison ivy climbing up into the Austrian pine. There's redbud trees with the pods hanging down, saying, earlier we were in flower. A little bit further south is the... Elderberry tree, and they were decorating the sidewalk with all those berries and the color. Various deciduous evergreens and de- ever- evergreens and dis- various deciduous evergreens. No. Well, there is, I guess, possibility of that. But deciduous trees and evergreens, plants, shrubs, continue all the way down to Lynch. And it's backed by the highway fencing. Well, it was getting time to go, so... Oh, and by the way, if you'd like to ride your bike down to Obuse Park... There is a place where you can lock it and take time to just walk around through the park and enjoy. As I headed for my car, there was a guy pushing a golf cart. I said, I didn't know those things needed to be pushed. And he said, well, sometimes the batteries run out of energy. So he said it needs a recharge. So he was going to have to push it home so he could get it recharged. So that would be a bummer to be out someplace and have it uh, run out of Fuel, I guess you'd call it. But anyway, so I saw him, and he had made it home, so everything was fine. So, again, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, concerns, or comments. And uh, we'll be back after these messages.
2: News, talk, sports. The voice of St. Louis,
3: KMOX. get to the phones real soon, but right now, if you're going to be utilizing any kind of insecticide on your lawn areas, make sure you mow those areas first before you know, applying insecticide. What that's going to do is going to remove most of the weed flowers, and that's going to reduce the amount of bees that are going to be coming into your yard after the insecticide has been treated. So, And also apply your insecticides early in the morning or late in the evening because bees are less likely to be active at those particular times, or if the air temperatures are below 55 degrees. So anyway, just realize that, uh, you know, putting an insecticide down could impact the bees and the bees have problems anyway. So just be conscious enough to cut your grass first before you apply your insecticides. Let's go now to Jim's yard. Jim, how are you today?
5: Good morning, Mike. Good morning. I planted some knockout roses last month, about last month, about eleven of them, and they are small plants. And uh, as far as trimming them back, when should I do that, or shouldn't I do that until I let them get, be in there for a year?
3: Yeah, I let them stay for a year, at least, if not two years or three years because the more leaves they have on it is going to help the overall health of the plant because the leaves make the chlorophyll slash food. And that helps a plant get established root system-wise and above-ground growth-wise. So I wouldn't be in too, too much of a hurry to start pruning on them.
5: I put some expert uh, fertilizer in the bottom of the hole, and I mixed it with the backfill also. And I've been keeping them watered. So uh, I'll just wait for a couple of years before I do anything with them. And right. one more question. Are they going to have the taste of Missouri out there at the gardens this year or not?
3: I'm not sure they are. You know, i Ever since I've stopped broadcasting there, you know, I I don't get any kind of information from them or anything, so I'm not. I have no idea if that's what they're going to do. But uh, to go back to your roses too, remember using rose food and fertilize them every month all the way up until like uh, late August or early September.
5: Okay, with uh, like a Miracle Grow liquid, to just spray that on them. Would that be okay?
3: Well, you're better off to get the rose food because. That has some of the nutrients that the liquid sprays don't have, and the, the nutrients in the rose food is specifically for the roses, and that can cause or you know prevent some potential problems.
5: But I put a weed barrier down first, and I cut like an eighteen-inch hole diameter all the way around them, and uh, would I just kind of sprinkle that food on the ground right on top of them then?
3: Yeah, and then water it in.
5: Okay. Thank you, sir. I met you out there at that Taste of Missouri one time, and I enjoy your program immensely.
3: Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show.
5: And thank you for your military service.
3: Well, thanks. Thank you. Yep. And now let's head over to Brad yard. Hi, Brad.
6: Hi. Good morning, Mike. Uh, I had a question. I've got some yellow squash plants. They look very healthy. Um, they put out a lot of blooms, and the little baby squash get about two inches long, and they die off. What's going on
3: there? Uh, probably too much fruit. In other words, too many squash for the plant, for the root system and everything else to establish and keep those healthy. So what I do is if you start to see some of them forming, get rid of about half of them. Okay. And then after and th- then after the plant gets big, fully robust and everything else, you can probably, you know, as more and more fruits or food, you know, is uh, set then you can probably just leave them alone. But initially, you should definitely get rid of some of them.
6: Okay, very good. And then a similar situation. I don't have anything. I've got two cucumber plants that are doing the same thing. They have a ton of little cucumbers. None of those are dying, but sounds to me like I should thin those out as well. well.
3: Yeah, I mean, people don't realize, you know, the vegetables need that the same way with, like, the fruit trees do. For a different reason, but still... It's uh just the overall health when these are fairly young at this time I mean, they've only been in the ground for maybe four or five weeks at the most.
6: right. Yeah, the plants really aren't that big, but right. there's fruit all over them, you right.
3: Know? So you got okay. you, that's lucky for that standpoint, but unlucky because it's too much. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. Sure my pleasure. And now let's go over to Margaret's yard. Hi, Margaret. Oh, good morning.
1: Uh, Mr. Miller, I have uh, these wild onions. What's the best thing
3: to use to get rid of them? Uh, onions, you know, are narrow bladed, so something like a grass killer, you could use that on them. A grass killer. Yeah. Okay. Are these onions in the in your lawn area? No, they're on the side of my house. Okay. Yeah. So I would just use a grass killer. You could use that, or obviously you can use Roundup as well. Okay. And then
1: I have another question. Now, I have mosquitoes cuz I have bushes in the yard. So I bought the kind of spray that you put foam, you put it on your hose. Uh should I uh c- cut the grass around the the before I apply this um uh, mosquito repellent or should I uh apply
3: uh after I cut the grass. It doesn't really matter because the grass really doesn't have that much to do with the mosquito circumstance.
1: Okay. Now I got another question. I have an aloe vera plant. Now, I, I bought some all-purpose potting mix. Would that work with that?
3: Yeah. I mean, ideally you should have gotten, you know, cactus-succulent potting mix, but since you did and this should be okay, just be very careful about overwatering.
1: Oh, okay. And I got one more question. I had bought some wood-based potting soil, and I don't want to use that. Is it okay if I pour it in a hole that uh, I have in the yard where I had, had a tree cut down?
3: There's nothing wrong with that, but just make sure you just don't pour it in there and just leave it by itself. You got to blend it in with the existing soil.
1: Oh, okay, blend it in. Right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. I've been...
3: First time caller, you just wonderful. Thank well, you. Well, thanks, and also with your onions or anything when you're trying to you know kill anything at all like that that's you've it sounds like you've got a big thicket or a big group of them. walk on them first to open some wounds and bruise them, and then apply the herbicide, whichever you choose, which herbicide that you want to apply. Okay, I will do that. Thank right. you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go from Margaret's over to Billy's. Hi, Billy. Hi, Mike. Um, my question is on ground cover.
7: we got an island that's about 200 yards from the house, and it's about 15 by 20 feet. And I killed off the grass. I need some kind of ground cover, uh, mainly sun and shade. I need it to be deer-resistant and drought-resistant since it won't get watered that much Since so it's not close to the house.
3: Yeah. You said it was 200 yards? Yes, that's six hundred feet,
7: yeah, oh. it, well, we've got the house and then we, the front yard, and then we got a lake and then the oh. island.
3: <laughs> oh, I see <laughs> uh this you know that's gonna be a really tough circumstance. You said it's sun and shade, both
7: right. we got a weeping cherry and then so it gets some shade, and there's no buildings around it, so it gets just the sun and what the the shade is what's from the tree,
3: right. Uh, if I was going to take a guess, I'd probably use one of the monkey grasses or Liriope, L-I-R-I-O-P-E, Liriope spicata. Now it's not going to be totally, completely deer resistant, but it is going to be somewhat re- deer resistant. But you know the deer are going to be problematic, for, you know, from lots of different for lots of different reasons. So another, you know, option. Let's see, probably. I would maybe think about uh, the vinca minor, which is a has a blue flower. That's one that's deer resistant, also.
7: Okay. Yeah, because I looked up on the internet and like they had snow in summer, and then the vinca minor and the thyme. Right. It was that they mentioned.
3: Right, and I mean you could use lily of the valley. That should be able to work in there too. So I mean a lot of the herbs. I mean if you want to use creeping time, except if it depends upon how you know how dense the uh shade is as far as that goes.
7: Uh, just a little bit of shade around that tree. Oh neat okay. tree. So you say monkeyweed, liriope, the spicata and zinc minor. Right. And the lily of the valley. Right. Okay, and
3: those don't need much water. No, they really don't. I mean uh they how do fast? need a little bit during the establishment period, but once they're established, just the amount of rainfall that we normally get should be adequate. Okay, and how um, fast spreading are they? Well, the, the fastest spreading is going to probably be the, you know, liriope. liriope and make sure that if you get the liriope, it's spicata. And deer will, you know, have a tendency they, they can eat that, but they won't hurt it if they eat it. So, in other words, it still will say robust and healthy, where sometimes if deer eat certain things, it basically kills them off. Mm hmm. Okay. And then another option would be some of the sedums S E D U M. Yes. So. Yeah,
7: because I saw the stone crop, the
3: voodoo right. sedum. Right, exactly. And Angelina. Right. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Yeah, I and mean, probably what I would do is just buy a couple of each one that you like aesthetically how they look. Plan them out there and see how well they do. See if you're happy with, how you know, the growth rate and everything else before you spend a whole lot of money on this.
7: Okay. What about mixing a couple of them together? Nothing wrong Which with that with at all. Next?
3: Yeah, I would certainly consider that, too. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hot Life. Have questions, concerns, or comments? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.
2: KMOX is Cardinals Radio.
9: It's a Cards-Cubs doubleheader today. It all starts with the Cameron pregame show at 1125. First pitch, 1220 on KMOX and streaming on KMOX.com.
3: Yes, this show rocks. Let's have our Teresa's yard. Hi, Teresa.
10: Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, another ground cover uh, question: What flowering, low-growing ground cover can I use in my flower
3: beds? As far as what else are you growing in the beds?
10: Uh, there's uh, rhododendron and peonies, clematis.
3: So pretty much bigger stuff. Clematis yeah. are, I'm assuming, climbing on a trellis, and then the other ones are, you know, pretty substantial themselves. Uh, So if the rhododendron's in there and there's clematis in the same bed, because generally the clematis want to be in full sun, and the rhododendrons don't necessarily like the full sun.
10: No, uh, the clematis is with peonies.
3: Okay. Yeah. So uh, so in a separate area? Yes. Uh, How how tall do you want these?
10: Uh, Well, you know... Shorter the better. (laughs) (laughs) Just so they keep the weeds out. Well, I mean, they can be a couple inches or something, but I don't want them, you know.
3: Six uh, or eight inches. That's good. That's good. Okay. So I would probably maybe, if you want something evergreen, I look at the Vinca Minor. Okay. That's one of the toughest, you know, most durable, you know, ground covers. It gives you blue flowers in the early spring. And then just like I say, it's pretty tough and durable. It can take the sun. It doesn't necessarily like it the best. It's going to, you know, like this, a shady circumstance a little bit better. But still, that's probably what I would use. It's really flat, never really – once you get it established, it takes very little care. And it uses the same kind of fertilizer that uh, the plants that you're talking about use or need.
10: Okay, sounds wonderful. Thank you very much.
3: Sure. Bye-bye. Bye. And now let's go over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry.
11: Yeah, what I'd like to know is, I have a hydrangeas, and they used to be really full with flowers, but now they're small. Uh, Should I've been cutting them back, or what can I do?
3: Well, also, basically, how long? How old are so, they? Let's put it
11: that way. Uh, maybe about years old.
3: Oh, really? That's not all that old. I was going to say if they're yeah. past double digits, I would say, have uh, you been fertilizing them? Yes, I have. So, and you're using an acid-based fertilizer. So, in other words, for acid-loving plants.
11: Right, I have.
3: So, you've been doing but everything I, you could. So, why they're not, you know, why they're doing as poorly as it sounds like they're doing? Are do you have any large trees that are nearby?
11: Uh, there's a oak tree and a ball cypress.
3: Okay. The only thing I can think of is the tree root systems are competing with your hydrangea and that's what's causing the problem. Okay. Especially if they've got if they shrunk in size and everything else. So initially they were, were were robust, but as the tree root system, the root hairs which absorb the nutrients and moisture from the trees sort of invaded into this area, then it's, they pretty much bonsied them or made them shrink. Let's put it that way.
11: Okay. Also, um, I have a clematis. Um, should I be dead hitting them? Because uh, traditionally, the clematis is it stops blooming, and I thought it should bloom all uh, summer long.
3: Uh, generally, some varieties do, but some varieties don't. Some of them just have one flush of flowers, and that's pretty much it. Okay. So it's going to be variety-wise more so than anything else.
11: Well, what variety do I buy that would um, bloom all summer long?
3: Well, maybe look at the Jack Manny.
11: Jack Manny, okay. Right. Thank you.
3: Yep, my pleasure. And And the Jack Manny or the Clematis in general, they're like lilacs, and a few other, you know, plants that they like an alkaline soil. So, you know, don't put any kind of uh, iron sulfate or anything like that on them, as far as or an acid-based fertilizer, because that's going to be detrimental to them. So that's uh, you
11: say they. You say they don't like acid.
3: They do not like acid. That's correct.
11: Okay. They like okay.
3: alkalinity. So. Uh, I mean, if you change it, if you try to monkey with that soil, that can kind of throw them, you know, out of sequence.
11: Okay. So that's, say that one more time. Jack, what?
3: Jack Manny. J A C K M A N I I. Jack Manny okay. Clematis.
11: Okay. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your show.
3: Sure. My pleasure. And thanks for having me on your show. And now let's head over to Terry's yard. Hi, Terry.
11: Hi. I have,
6: uh, a couple of questions, and thank you for taking my call. The, the first question is about hibiscus. I have two hibiscus trees. They're the kind of plant where three stems have been braided to make a tree structure, Right. and I winter them over in the garage in front of a pretty large window, and by spring, they're kind of ragged looking, but I get them out, and they they revitalize pretty quickly, and and they look good, and they're growing. But each year, after they get going, some of the leaves start to turn bright yellow, and then they fall off within 24 hours. And this gets progressively worse. So eventually, like every fourth or fifth leaf, turns bright yellow and falls off. The other leaves look fine until whatever is going on happens and this keeps going till about 60% of the leaves have fallen off and I've tried varying the amount of water I give them and that doesn't seem to have any effect but I someone told me that they don't like acidic soil and I've fertilized them and maybe that's the problem I don't know so what do you think
3: well i don't know if it's you know a fertilizing circumstance how much light are they getting
6: well, they don't. They get natural water whenever it rains, but the soil dries out pretty quick. They're in pots, although they're in pretty large pots. But I water them when the soil's kind of dry. I water them, and and I, I tried holding back the water, thinking maybe that's the problem. But that didn't help. It didn't help at all. Well,
3: how much I, how much sunlight are they getting?
6: They're getting uh, all sunlight all day long, really? pretty much. Yeah.
3: That's, you know, the only thing I can think of is when they do braid those trunks, it just, you know, it's not really the best thing to the advantage of the hibiscus. I mean, they're nice-looking aesthetically and everything else. But uh, the fact that this is happening like that, you're doing fertilizing right, you're doing the watering right, you're doing everything right, it's just, you know, sort of a a dysfunctional factor of this particular type of hibiscus. Uh,
6: I I see. But but it is okay to—I do use— I use uh, an acid fertilizer sometimes, and then I use the Bloom Booster fertilizer sometimes. I don't use a whole lot of it, though, but that's okay.
3: Yeah, you should be fine. You should fertilize them. Once you bring them outside, you should probably fertilize them every about every three weeks or so, through the whole growing season until probably towards the end of August, early September, and then no fertilizer after that because you're moving them in a couple months back into the garage, so you don't want a whole lot of forced growth.
6: Uh, Okay. Okay. My other question is regarding, uh, basically, lawn weeds. I I have a huge lawn, and I have a number of pretty large trees, and I get weeds underneath these trees, particularly a couple of very large pine trees. And then also... I I have woods also and I've cleared bush honeysuckle out of uh some of the areas in the woods and which looks great now but there's weeds growing under the trees. So can I safely spray a lawn weed killer in the in the areas under these trees?
3: Yeah, or, that should it shouldn't cause any kind of problem at all for the trees.
6: Okay. In in some areas I have some really Stubborn weeds. If I tried to carefully spray something stronger like Roundup, would, would that harm the tree?
3: No, it wouldn't.
6: It wouldn't? Okay.
3: Basically, Roundup or most of the herbicides have to be applied to the foliage of the plants, and you're not p- applying the foliage, uh, you know, let's say the herbicide onto the tree leaves or tree needles or whatever it happens to be.
6: Right, I'm very careful. Right. Okay, well, thank you very much. That that answers my question. I That was a problem I, I've been having. So thank you so much for your show.
3: Well, great. Well, thank you, and good luck with your hibiscus.
6: Okay, bye-bye.
3: Bye. And now let's go over to Althea's. Hi, Althea. Good luck with your
10: hibiscus.
3: Okay, go right, bye. And now let's go over to Althea. Althea, turn your radio down. Hello, I can barely hear you.
2: Okay, can you hear me now?
3: Okay, yeah. Go ahead.
2: I, I like to know what are the best plants to plant in the house that will flower.
3: That's a tough one because it depends upon light, it depends upon lots of different kind of factors. I don't know, you know, what size plant that you you really want. I mean, amaryllis bulbs are going to flower for a short period of time. Are you looking for something that's going to ex- have an extended flowering period? Because that's a little bit tough for, you know, any kind of tropical plant in a house.
2: Yes, an extended flower period.
3: Yeah, that's going to be—there's nothing really that's going to be all that reliable, to be honest, without knowing how much light you have and the fertilizing and everything else. So there's a whole lot of factors— it's a little bit tougher inside than it is outside. So, it's going to be just kind of a roll of the dice. I would go to your favorite garden center and see what they have as far as flowering and tropical plant material and then take, a, you know, go from that standpoint. I mean, because none of them really flower for extended periods of time. I mean, you can do the Christmas cactus, you can do the peace lily, There's all kinds of things that will flower, but they're not going to keep flowering all year long.
2: Is there any plant? I have four lights.
3: You have grow lights? Four lights? Four lights. Full light. Yes. Well, that's. I would say, again, go to your favorite garden center and see what they have that's in flower, and then talk to them about the specific, specific plants that they have as opposed to me just giving you kind of a list, and you go out trying to search. So the garden center, find out what they have that's in flower, and then talk to the staff members on what particular plant this is and how well it's going to do. But you're more than likely going to have a better luck as far as getting color if you get some plants that have a variegated or a different color foliage, like croton, C-R-O-T-O-N. That has very colorful leaves. It's not flowers, but it's colorful leaves. And that could be very attractive.
2: Okay. C-R-O-T-O-N. Right. Okay. I also have a lily. I planted about two weeks ago. And it's well, maybe three weeks. But it's 12 inches tall. And when I went to water it again, the leaves that
3: it had grew about uh a half a dozen leaves and they started to turn yellow Uh uh-oh yeah so you planted this outside or is this something you planted inside on the inside okay so stop watering you might be watering it too much usually if foliage starts turning yellow if it's getting plenty of light then it's just a result of, and hopefully this is a variety of plant that can do okay inside. Some plants, like Easter lilies, do fine for a short period of time inside, but then they got to go outside, basically. That's a better environment for them just in general. So thanks, Althea. Greatly appreciate it. Mike Miller, Morris Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
2: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, and your houseplants, we've had several calls related to houseplants. Realize when your houseplants are in the inside, just use a half label rate of whatever fertilizer you're using. And even if you move them outside, just use half the label rate. Don't use full label rate. Because it doesn't need all that, and it's not going to help. And you start fertilizing when the new growth begins or in the early spring, or when you move them outside, or whatever, you know, whenever. So let's go now to—is it Mona or is it Norma? Um, it would be Lorna. Morna. Okay. Lorna. Yeah. So my question is about the
12: plant called a red hot poker or a fire dance. Um, I have a friend that wants to get a cutting off of it or seeds, and I'm just not sure how to do that.
3: Uh, You can take a cutting, but I would probably not do it now. I would probably take the cutting basically when we get a little bit past the worst part of the summertime. And take the cutting. Make sure you get some rooting hormone when you take the cutting. Read the instructions on the rooting hormone, on dipping the cutting, and get potting mix for starting plant material and put it into a container with a potting mix. Okay. And is it possible to propagate by seed? Uh, that's going to be a little iffy. You could try it. I mean, you could do both and just see what happens. But uh, from seed, it's going to be kind of sort of a roll of the dice. It's. I mean, you're going to have to get a seed starter type fertilizer. You're going to have to have grow lights. You're going to have to have bottom heat. To, to really have any chance for having good success with, uh, you know, growing them from seed.
12: Okay. So when I get, when I take the cutting, I'm going to get some roots, right? That's what you said?
3: Well, you're not going to get the roots. You're, I thought you were just going to take a stem cutting.
12: Yes, that's what I thought. But, right. Okay. Maybe, I just didn't hear you right. Okay. So, so I'm just t- going to cut off one of the stems?
3: Right. And cut it at a 45-degree angle, then dip it into the rooting hormone and then put it into a potting mix for starting plant material in a very small pot.
12: Very small pot. Okay.
3: Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Betty's yard. Hi, Betty. Good morning, Mike. Good morning.
12: Yes. I would like to know what type of weed killer could be used for pets. I have a small dog, and I have some weeds in my backyard. And I'm like to spray to kill those weeds. Is there any type of weed killer I could use for pets?
3: Well, f- for the most part, they should be you know somewhat safe. But I would re- I would go online and just look for pet-safe herbicides. I mean, there okay. are herbicides like organic, you know, vinegars and things like that. If you want to try to go that direction as opposed to using like a weed be gone or a grass killer. So there are organic products that are going to be probably a little bit more safe. You know, for your pets okay all right and thanks a lot sure my pleasure and chris could you do it kind of quick
13: yeah hey mike um Hi. i had a quick question i am uh trying to install a temporary privacy fence while and that'll that'll take care of things until some cedars grow in front of it and i i was looking around and i see tons of honeysuckle that I can transplant next to this, but what I want to be able to do is dispose of it when when I'm done. And I didn't want to get it there and go, oh, crud, I can't get rid of it now. So <laughs> I'm just wondering if uh, if I, like, was able to just cut it all off at the bottom and leave some some foliage there and just start hitting that with the Roundup and kill it later when I take the, the fence down.
3: Yeah, you could probably do that and – and in reality, if this is stuff that you're digging up and transplanting, it's not going to be, I mean, I'm assuming it's not going to take multiple years for this, whatever junipers or cedars or whatever you're trying to grow for a, you know, a, a better screening. So you uh. should be able to get rid of it pretty easy, like what you said. You can cut it off to about a foot above the ground, cut it at a 45-degree angle, then take the roundup and just paint it right onto the cuts. That would be an easy way oh. to do it.
13: Okay, great. That sounds good. Thanks, Mike.
3: Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, and the reason why I'm saying painting is because the, sh- the shrubs that you're trying to grow for the permanent screening, that way you won't get any kind of drift as a result of you know trying to get it onto the honeysuckle because a honeysuckle, like, it's going to take a little bit of time before it gets really well established. So you should be able to do this thing, orchestrate this pretty, you know, pretty easily. So everybody else, too. Uh, This time of year, I'm just surprised. I still have several pots of pansies. And usually by this, by past Memorial Day, they are all just, but I'm quite surprised. But at the same time, the other colorful things for the summer annuals are really looking good. And my daffodils are gone. But my guess what? Elephant ears and cannas look spectacular. So they're just really starting to come up now. So uh, we'll be back after the news. So if you have questions or concerns, give us a call.
8: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crownland Port, Chicago, Illinois.
2: Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: It is the tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving a tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly, this is a great time of year for the birds, isn't it? It really is. You get to see the young ones there. That are, We don't know exactly how to get that seed out of the feeder <laughs> or anything, so I'll just sit here on the ground and flap.
4: <laughs> we'll see that. We also, I will see, like, uh, especially with the woodpeckers, two of them will go, and it's like an older one and a younger one. Right, exactly. And they kind of teach them how right. to, you know. Like wow. last year there was one where there were a couple, and the older one, uh, like another big bird came in, so the older one flew off, and the younger one didn't know what to do, <laughs> and he sat there holding onto the feeder, looking around like, "What do I do? What do I do?" And it was, it was, yeah, it was great. Yeah, they are a lot of fun They're for sure. They're really
3: entertaining this time of year. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, and I know you really enjoy them.
4: So. I certainly do. But
3: no hummingbirds yet.
4: A few, just a couple. Uh, last year it was on St. Louis Blues Day. June thirteenth, ah. anniversary of winning the cup. That uh, that a bunch of them showed up. So hopefully in another week or so we'll have uh, the swarm of hummingbirds. <laughs> so far it's just been kind of a few. One of the funny things too is that those those same woodpeckers, the downies in particular, but even the the red-breasted, they love the hummingbird food. Oh really? Yes, they are on that hummingbird feeder, and it's like guys, I wouldn't even think they could get it out of. There. I wouldn't either. They don't have the tongues like the right. but I guess enough maybe leaks around the edges. That could be that they're able to get enough flavor off it. But yeah, they will they will go on to the hummingbird feeders. It's like that's not your food. <laughs> but you wow. gotta share. Absolutely. It's a good lesson in life. Exactly very much. Yes. Thanks, Brian. Hey, stay away from my donuts in there, will you? Know?
3: <laughs> I'm not a real donut fan, <laughs> but anyway, thanks for having me on your show. and We can discuss plant selection for cares, ups and downs related to annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take for success. It's strictly offered for you to consider across the big board, James, he's producing. He answers the phone as well. So, in other words, he's constantly doing things and making it so you can hear me and I can hear you. And during the week I and the weekends both, I do walk and talks, consultations. I come to your home and spend uh, time with you related to concerns you have, things that I noticed that maybe you hadn't thought of that could be impacting your landscape. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And on the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. Tip of the trials is a special recognition for individual, group, or a situation that's made an impression on me. Is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to all the Garden Center employees. This time of year, it is totally insane. Hey, yeah. Earlier in the season, because of the way our weather was, kind of knocked them off yeah, a little bit, me. but then... It, So anyway, it's really I spent when I worked at the Botanical Garden, I left there and went to Old Orchard Gardens, which was a nursery in West County near where I grew up. And I worked there for five years and uh, I just it was a totally unusual experience for me because I never really had that kind of situation where it's a huge surge certain times a year and then really mellow and hardly anything other times of the year. So the staff members at the you know retail garden centers are just unbelievable. The time and the patience so you can get the best plants that you want and they will spend time with you. And uh, some of the circumstances, maybe in the big box stores, they don't have the staff to really help you all that much. but uh, at the small retail ones, local, They're going to help you get the best plants possible. So the tip of the trial goes out to all the garden center employees because they truly deserve it. Let's go and do a couple calls before we take a break. Let's head over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Good morning, Mike. Good morning.
15: Um, I have just a couple questions about um, uh, hostas. They're the darker green variety. The first question is, uh, when to divide them that are in the ground.
3: Okay. existing in the- Yeah, basically division should be done in the fall. So In the fall. Right. That way what you're, you're going to be dividing them, and uh, you just dig up the whole clump if you want to, or you can just take a wedge out of an existing clump. Just make sure you get plenty of root system with the stems and leaves above the ground. Then you can plant them and leave the s- stem and leaf on them if you want, or you can just cut the stem and leaf off. But fall is the best time for transplanting or planting anything because the ground is warm. That stimulates new growth, uh, growth, root establishment, and also then the plants get to go to sleep for wintertime. Whereas opposed to springtime, the ground is cold, and then it's they're facing you know our summertime, which could be severe.
15: Right. So okay. In doing that, you say can either cut the foliage off or let it die back. Yeah, because it's going
3: to, yeah, either way, it's just an aesthetic cause. You know, personally, I don't necessarily like to see the foliage die off on its own. It's just, it looks kind of sad. So I usually, if I am going to do a division uh, transplant or whatever, I cut the foliage off as soon as I make the division.
15: Okay. And then, uh, sir, the next question is, and you may have answered that, uh, we have uh, some darker uh, uh, the hostas that are in pots, and we want to put the, uh, uh, transplant those to the soil in the ground. So now is not the time to do that, or not?
3: Well, you could do it. It's just you know moving them. You know, with we don't know what the weather is going to be like. It could be intensely hot, and even though they've got a well established root system, it's going to kind of disrupt their root system when you pull them out of the pots. Ideally, if you can wait until, you know, mid to late August to do it, that would be best. But if you want to do it now, just watch them closely and make sure that they don't get uh, any kind of drought stress. But make sure also that you don't overwater them. So that's, you know, it's kind of a roll of the dice when it comes to that. That's why planting in the fall is a lot, you know, a lot easier to care for the newly transplanted, whether out of pots or divisions or anything else.
15: Okay, so no overwatering. So the one from the pot to the soil, you would, I guess, take the entire, let's say the entire house out of the pot and divide it, do it that way?
3: You can certainly divide it then at that time. If you're going to do the division, then definitely wait till later on. Don't do it now.
15: Okay, so in both circumstances, fall, late August is the best.
3: Right, late August through probably early to mid-October.
15: Okay. All right, Mike. Thank you very much.
3: Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Chuck's yard. Hi, Chuck.
13: Mike, good morning, and thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, A lady called earlier about weeds in her backyard. She's got dogs. Right. Uh, We've got three dogs, and about uh, a few years ago, I started looking on YouTube about the vinegar, and I finally came up with something that really works good. It's uh, a two-gallon sprayer. I pour one gallon of vinegar in, then an entire box of salt, regular table salt. Then I take Dawn dishwashing uh, soap, and I pour that in, uh, several ounces, actually. And then I put a second gallon of vinegar on top of that, and I just go out, and it works like a champ. Uh, wow. It kills everything.
3: Well, that sounds great. And it doesn't
13: hurt the dogs, obviously. Um, right. That's a, anyway, that's all I did.
3: Yeah, I've never really mixed, you know, it's interesting to mix salt and vinegar together. So, but the, and the dawn helps it stick, you know, blend blend them together because they're kind of contrary to each other. So that's. But so it kills
13: every every backyard weed that I, it comes in contact with. You know, you spray the, uh, you saturate the foliage, your leaves, right. and uh, that's all you got to do.
3: All right. Well, great. Well, thanks for sharing. Take care. Yep. Bye. Mike Miller, K M O X Garden Hotline back after these messages.
2: Serving St. Louis for over ninety six years.
3: K M O X. Yes. The annual warm season weeds are just surging. Unbelievable. Whether it's spurge, ragweed, purslane, knotweed, blah, blah, blah. All the crab grasses, barnyard grasses, and all that other stuff. And uh, another thing, realize that when you mow your lawn very short, you're setting up a scenario where the weeds can get uh, in there, whether they're annual weeds or perennial weeds, and cause you more problems. So, Don't cut your grass so short. And there's some people in in our neighborhood, I don't know why they cut it this short. I mean, they're almost cutting it down to where the crowns are visible. And uh, do they think if they cut it short, then they cut less often? No, that's not what the case is. Usually if they cut it short, then they just cut it again, you know, maybe too frequently because they want to keep it that short. And that doesn't really help anything at all. It doesn't even look green. So anyway, enough of that. Let's head over to Jill's yard. Hi, Jill. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Sure. Hey, we have two clump birch in the front
1: corner of our property or front corner of our house. And last year I noticed the leaves were starting to get very sparse on the top. And this year, even more of the top of both the clump birch have no leaves. Um, Is it too
3: late to do anything? Uh, Not necessarily. I'd certainly have a tree service come out and take a look. And how close are they to your house? Um, you know, I'd probably
1: say they're at the front corner, about 12 feet away, and they've probably been there about
3: 26 years. Yeah, so it's probably it could be a factor related to the house foundation, the alkalinity of that, and uh, just the whole you know the whole growing circumstance. Now, are these river birch or what kind of birch are these? Heritage, heritage clump, my husband okay. said. All right. So, regardless, I would say you know they may be on the downhill turn, but. Uh, The uh, tree service may come out and say, well, if we do some, let's say, deep root feeding where they auger holes, backfill those holes with compost, what that does is enrich the soil and then the plant, the trees, root system can be, you know, in better shape. But uh, let them take a look at it to make sure.
1: Okay. All right. We'll give that a try then. Appreciate it.
3: Thank you. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Boomers. Hi, Boomer.
9: Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I've called you a couple times, and uh, you gave me advice on uh, my Concord grape vines. And you said, basically, just leave them alone, you know, as far as just, you know, pruning them. Right. And uh, so last year I had about, I don't know, four clusters, five clusters between my Venus Concord grape and just my standard Concord grape vines, and they're on a trellis. And, uh, that was probably due to the late frost we had, but this year I just let it go. Like, uh, you advised me to, and again, thank you for that. And I have over a hundred to 150 clusters on my grapevines. And so I was, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, my, my three sons have just like, they showed it to me and they were really excited about it. So, um, uh, my question is: Is listening to your show earlier, you, you advised some folks that they should cut back their fruit, and but they they were like zucchini and cucumbers and whatever. Um, would you advise the same thing with the grapes, or would you just let them go?
3: I would say, get rid of some of them. You know, maybe a twenty-five th- percent. But you do the same thing with peaches and apples. You know, off the trees. It's great to see the flowers. It's wonderful. But once the fruit starts setting, then too much fruit can cause a disadvantage to the, more or less the tree, or the grapevine, or whatever it happens to be.
9: Right, and will that affect the quality of the of the fruit?
3: Uh, as far as the, the the fruit that remains should be healthier and more and more robust. It's not going to be dramatically different, but it should uh, just the overall health of it because. Fruiting is really stressful for any plant regardless of what kind of plant it actually is. And this is a situation that you help the overall health of the plant just in general.
9: Right. And, and just real quick, I have some miracle grow uh, pellets that are specific for fruiting you know a plant. Okay. H- how long would you say that I fertilize?
3: You mean as far as how long, in, how long into the season? Yes. Yeah, I would say probably, you know, we've got the fruit starting to set now. I would say maybe once in July, you know, up till July, maybe mid-August would be the latest. I'd fertilize and do it about every 30 days.
9: Okay. Great, Mike. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your show. Thank you.
3: Well, thanks for having me on your show. Now let's head over to Jimmy's yard. Hi, Jimmy.
9: Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Good. Uh,
13: I have a question. I live in Florida, and I have a blue spruce. That, well, I've lived in this house for 50 years, and it, the house was fairly new when I bought it, and it was a big tree then. <clears throat> this year, it is really starting to look bad, and as I go through Florida, I see several blue spruce. There, some of them are completely dead. I was just wondering if there's some kind of disease or something that's going around or What's going on with the blue spruce in this area?
3: Yeah, no, there's the blue spruce. It's you know, at least with yours, and probably the other ones, if they're larger ones, it could be just an age factor. And add that age factor along with the, how much rain that we had this year in the springtime. That could be a combination of those two things together that's caused some causing some of them to go downhill, you know, faster than what you would anticipate.
13: Okay, I appreciate it very much. Sure. Thank you
3: so sir. Yeah, you can't really do anything about the rainfall, but we've had we had periods of really, really wet soils and blue spruces do not like really wet soils and that's you know, even if they've lived all these years and everything else, this year was an exceptional amount of rainfall and, and with the age factor, that's probably what is causing yours to go downhill. So thanks, Jimmy, and now let's go over to Sharon Jard. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Mike. Hi.
16: Um, I planted tomatoes um, about a month ago, and there has been very little to no growth on them, and they're kind of black. What are you
3: thinking? Scary. But no, uh, so have you fertilized them? Are they in the ground or in pots?
16: They're in my um, raised garden beds, or they're in a big pot.
3: Okay, So and so you've fertilized them, you've watered them, you know.
16: Well, I just fertilized them yesterday. That's the first time I fertilized them. Will that help,
6: do you think?
3: Yeah, that should help. But if they're totally discolored like you've described, I would say you can fool with these a little bit longer if you want. But I would consider going to the garden center and getting some new ones. Okay.
16: Okay, yeah, I've never seen anything like that, and they've hardly grown at all. So, okay, I will see if the fertilizer helps. If not, I'll start over. Thank you so much.
3: you should be able to see something in about two weeks from, and you're hopefully you're using tomato food.
16: I did, I okay, did. Now, perfect. if I if I um, start over, do you think I'll still get tomatoes this year? They'll oh, be sure. later. Right? Yeah,
3: you still yeah. got you got time. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. Yep my my pleasure. And yeah, with the tomato varieties, just uh, it should say on the tag you know how long it's going to take before you're going to be able to harvest, you know, uh, tomatoes off the plant. So certain varieties are going to give you fruits much quicker. It depends upon what variety you're using or what variety you're planting. So take a look at the tag and then make the decision on the variety you're going to, you know, plant as, as a result of that. So let's go now from Sharon's over to Gloria's. Hi Gloria. How you doing? Very good. But uh, you know,
16: she just said about the black tomatoes, and mine's turned too. But they said it's uh, some kind of fungus or something in the tomatoes. And I said, I'll just throw them away. But what I call you about is they got these tomatoes that's in these containers. But I read online that you should put tomatoes in the ground and don't keep them in the container. And I'm trying to find out to you, is that true?
3: Well, I've grown tomatoes in pots, larger pots. You know, for and had great success with them. So, to me, you can grow them in larger pots. You know, at least fourteen to sixteen inches minimum. And I've had, like I said, good success with several different varieties. And of course, uh-huh. in the ground, they will do okay too.
16: Okay, when you say okay, I planted. This is my first year starting me up at Bachelor garden, and I planted some of my stuff. I heard you could plant them in pots, and I got eighteen inches pots. A lot of them from plants. I want to know do I need to bring that dirt all the way up to the top or leave the.
3: Yeah, don't.
16: Yeah,
3: first of all, make sure that you're using a potting mix and not potting soil or not yes, dirt out of the potting.
16: yard. No, I use the new potting mix they got.
3: Okay, then that's.
16: And, uh, you should be fine. New and then I bought some organics, so okay. I'm just trying to see if I got enough dirt on them.
3: They should be, I mean, as long as, it's, you know, you don't have to bury the stems, you don't have to do anything at all. If they get, stems get buried a little bit, it really won't hurt them all that much, if that's what you're asking.
16: Oh, okay, that's what I wanted to know. Because things you get flowers and they have dirt all the way up to the top running out. And I was just, you know, wondering.
3: Yeah, that's a little yeah. bit extreme.
16: Yeah, okay. Thank you very much.
3: You have a good day. Sure, you do the very same thing. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have some phone lines open.
9: Find out what's happening with your Redbirds from the manager himself, Oliver Marmol, Sundays at 1015 on Sports Open Line. And Wednesday mornings at 950. The Ollie Marmol Show. I'm excited for not only the clubs, but for the fans. This is, a, this is a special year for sure. On MOX.
3: Back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Mike Chart. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Good morning.
14: Uh, I have a question for you. I have some azalea bushes that I planted. They get, uh, I guess, maybe um, four or five hours of sunlight. But I'm having a problem with the uh, fertilizer. What, what, what can I do to uh, improve the growth uh, of these? They're about three years they've been in the ground now, and um, I'm just wondering what I can fertilize them with
3: make sure that you use an acid-based fertilizer. So that fertilizer would have iron and sulfur mixed in with the other ingredients in the fertilizer.
14: Acid, sulfur-based. Uh, okay. right. So it's, Can I get that at uh, Lowe's or uh, yeah. Home Depot or something
3: like that? Yeah, like, I mean, miracle Grow has, you know, an acid fertilizer. So just make sure it's for acid-loving plants. So that's all the broadleaf evergreens and lots of other plants, you know, that want an acid situation. And with the azaleas, as far, as far as if you start seeing some discoloration in the leaves, that's because, first of all, the soil pH is not right, and that's what the sulfur changes, and then it doesn't have iron, and the iron then changes, you know, it's not going to happen overnight by any means. Iron changes the, let's say, discoloration to be a darker green.
14: I see. Okay, I also have a question about my rose bushes. I have some knockout rose bushes that I've had in the ground maybe five years. And uh, each year I cut them back pretty severely last year, but the um, the leaves again of getting a, it looks like a, an insect is attacking them, but i can't there's no visible signs of an insect uh, and it looks spotted and uh, even on the bark of the uh, knockout road but would you recommend any type of uh, um, uh, fertilizer or a uh, insecticide that I could use to try to uh, keep these bugs from taking over the plant again
13: this year?
3: Yeah, I would probably get a systemic, S-Y-S-T-E-M-I-C, systemic insecticide. That's one that you put onto the, pull your mulch away if you've got mulch around them, put it on the ground, water it in, or if it's a liquid, then you just water it in, and then consequently it goes up through the roots and then into the leaves, and then anything that feeds on those leaves will kill that particular bug.
14: Excellent. Okay, uh, that pretty much takes care of me. Uh, can, uh, the other question I have: so I pull all the mulch away from around them. Can I use a fur, I mean, uh, a weed killer like we be going or something like that around the? Because it's about a four foot wide flower bed around
17: these rose uh, bushes.
3: Yeah, you can just make sure that you you know you don't let it drift onto you know the actual rose foliage because that's where you know the damage could happen. So just be real careful.
14: Okay. Thank you very much, and you have a great show.
3: Yep. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Let's go over to Jan's yard. Hi, Jan. Hey, Mike. Um, I'm calling about my boxwood
12: bushes. Uh, They're about eight years old, and they've gotten real bushy, and I missed... I know I'm supposed to trim them back in the the dead of winter or something, but I missed doing that. What would be the harm if I go ahead and trim them back now?
3: You could get some real bad-looking sunburn on them. Hmm. So you're just mm. going to you're just going to have to basically live with it or just understand that if you do prune them the remaining leaves are going to be fully exposed to the sun that they're not used to even if they're not in full sun and you can get some sunburn on the, some of the foliage that's still on the shrub
12: well if i what's as soon as i can do it then instead of the dead of the winter can i as soon as like november yeah can you I, don't
3: have to do it in the dead of winter I mean, you just have to be really careful. Ideally, you wait until we're past the dead of winter because even though you're not going to get sunburn in the wintertime, you can get some cold damage by, you know, pruning them, and then we get some severe weather. You know, who knows, you know, below zero, blah, 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 blah. But uh, so just be real cautious about doing it.
16: Well, instead of waiting until
3: spring then, early spring— Annie, can I do it at the end of the year at what point? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, I would probably say sometime in early early to mid-September, prune them at that time. That should give them time to acclimate for, you know, the cold that's coming up. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Sure. And now let's head over to Sam's yard. Hi, Sam.
18: Hey, Greg. Man. I'm just amazed at how much you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost... Almost frightening. (laughs) No, I do want to encourage that that young lady that called in about containers. My wife and I have well over 40 grow bags and containers, five-gallon. You know, we grow everything in them. I'm talking about watermelons, grapes, tomatoes. Wow. uh, Potatoes. uh, We got everything going out there, and and they all grow well. I had tomato plants last year almost eight-foot tall out of five-gallon containers.
3: Last so tell her, don't get,
18: tell, yeah, tell her, don't give up on it, because with my mobility problems, it works out really great. I don't have to dig up no soil and do all that stuff, and, it, and they grow. We have great harvests. I just want to encourage you on that. Also, with the tomatoes, that black, it might be that, that it's called blossom in rot, and you see them dark ends at the end of that. Either you water it too much or water it too little. I want to encourage you with that, with right. tomatoes, because that can, that can really discourage you, and um, and the reason why I called in really was about those grapes again we talked about last time. That young man that called in about his grapes. And I'm finally getting some nice clusters on my grape tree that's in a five-gallon drum. But it looks like it's starting. To, I ain't going to say starting, but it looks like it's, you know, I'm the daddy, uh, you know, and I'm looking at my, my son. It looks like he's getting a little smothered. And I want to transplant that out into a, like a 15 or 20 grow bag. But maybe this is not the time. What would be the time for me to really get that out of the bucket and put it in something bigger?
3: Probably uh, as we come out of summertime going into fall.
18: Okay. Now, I've been putting mine in my garage over the winter. Uh And and then water it, you know, once every three weeks or so. Uh, Even when the garage is frozen and it just comes back, you know, it gets green again when I take it back out. Sure. but he's talking about a tree that's in the ground and stays out there all winter, correct?
3: Exactly. That talking about yeah, that? right.
18: Okay. 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 But yeah, that that was just it. I just got excited about the containers because me and my wife got a lot of people going on containers now, and then uh, my grape tree is doing well, and I'm growing a watermelon. So tell so you can do it all.
3: <laughs> I've never grown Thank watermelon you. in containers.
18: Yeah, I'm have to uh, do a send you something by email when they start growing bigger, send you something through text messages or something so you can take a look. All but, right. But you got a great you
3: got a great show, man. Enjoy. Well thanks. Yeah, and that blossom end rot on the tomatoes, I mean that's why I recommend people using tomato food because it contains calcium and that prevents the blossom end rot on the tomato you know, actual tomatoes. So there's reasons why, you know, certain things work better than other ones. So thanks Sam. Greatly right. appreciate it. And let's see, let's let's go over to Greg's yard before we take a break. Hi, Greg. Hi,
8: Mike. How you doing? Very good. Um, I've got, uh, I moved in a house a couple of years ago. I got a mugo pine. It's really a nice guy. And it's uh, the last couple of years I've been noticing, I'm thinking it's scale on there, white, you know, all over the bark. And underneath, inside the tree, it's kind of getting a little thin in there. So I hit it with some neem oil the other day. Do you do, you do that? Like it says, it's like... Every fourteen days or so. I mean, is that something? This scale? I mean, how how do I know that's what it is? I kind of tried to look it up online. I really couldn't get a good feel for it though.
3: Well, scale is usually not on the bark. Scale's usually going to be on the needles.
8: Oh, okay. So, I to did me, get the what's candles your, out this year.
3: Yeah, yeah. Same. I have a mugo pine too, and the same thing. And uh, basically, what you're seeing on the bark is probably just some kind of lichen or something like that, and it's not really an insect whatsoever.
8: Oh, okay. Do I uh, do I worry about that or do I just no. let it do its deal? Okay. Yeah, it,
3: it should right. be fine as long as it's overall healthy. And the inside is always gonna it's gonna get thinner and thinner as the thing gets bigger. As far as the okay. number of needles and everything in the middle, because there's no light heading down in there.
8: Got gotcha. Kind of like those arborvites, I guess too. Right. right? Same right. thing. Yeah. Uh, do you trim back that mugo pine? I, mean, I, I like the size of it now, but it, you know, it's not not super fast
3: growing. No. Generally, if you start pruning on pines, it kind of messes them up. For you know. Okay. I would okay. stay away from pruning them. Okay.
8: Uh, and also, I have some, a um, couple years in now, uh, purple leaf sand cherries. When do you uh, trim those back? Is that like a fall thing now, too?
3: Well, if you prune them in the fall, then you don't get the flowers in the spring. The best time to prune is when they finish flowering in the springtime.
8: Okay, so they did flower up because they're brand new, they didn't get a whole lot of flowers, so I go ahead and kind of cut those back and form them up a little bit now, I guess then, and...
3: yeah, you could,
8: yeah, okay, and then one other question uh Mike uh I've got an area I want to put I had some uh, it was I had a hill that had a lot of euonymus on it, uh-huh. and that was just crazy, and I cut all that down and really worked that and put a wall up and to the left of one of them, I want to put some low growing uh, no maintenance type of ground cover. I don't know. If you got any recommendations there?
3: Is it shady or sunny? Uh,
8: it gets uh, it's morning shade and then it'll get some afternoon sun.
3: So uh, uh, probably I would look, again look at the liriope. I like that ground cover. It's a great yeah. As long as you get the liriope spicata, that's a spreading one. And if you don't okay. want to do that, you can look at some of the varieties of sedum. S E D U M. There's several different varieties of that.
8: Perfect. All right, Mike. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the show. Sure.
3: Thank you for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
8: This is
2: the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis
3: KMOX. Yes, folks. Back to the phones. Let's head over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Hi. Good morning,
12: Mike. Good morning. Uh, I, uh, I have a big jade that uh i i looks like i'm going to lose it i've got nearly bugs bad on it uh i have look, looked online what to do uh they any U-M oil is that uh
3: right neem oil
12: yes right. uh they didn't happen to have any when I was uh, up at the store yesterday. I've got some V O L I C K I believe is how I spell it, V O L C K oil spray. Will that work? And uh, is there any chance when when uh, it has scaly uh, mealybugs
3: bad? Do you think it can be saved? So, this is a, a, J, a house plant. So, we're talking about J, right. J growing inside. Right. So, right. Do you have so many mealy bugs you can't just wipe them off? No. Oh, okay. All of
12: a sudden, uh, they've just really got a lot of... That was my question. Can I
3: just spray it with this oil, or do you have to touch each one? No, no, no. You can just spray it, but just be really careful. And, you know, make sure that, you know, I would go online and put this name of this oil in to see, because some of the succulents and cactus can be damaged for things that are should be safe for other plant materials, so just be really cautious. I would spray it on maybe just one branch where the mealybugs are and just mm-hmm. see what happens as a result of that, and then wait for a week or two and then decide if you want to use it again.
12: Can the, can the bugs transfer
3: to other plants? I have a lot of plants in the house. Well, if they're in direct contact, so okay. they can crawl and get onto another plant, but they can't, they really don't fly that well or anything mm. else. So it has to be like branches over, overlapping each other and mm-hmm. something like mm. that.
12: Yeah, I've got fiddle leaf, uh, fit the plants like six foot tall oh. close to them. It could get on those. In other words,
3: really bugs, uh, uh can get on anything pretty much. Yes, mm, badness, badness.
12: Okay, <laughs> I got
3: too much stuff in the house, and I hate losing this jade, but okay, I'll give it a whirl. All right. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just try it on one branch and see what happens. And now let's head over to Mike's. Hi, Mike.
17: Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, two quick questions. My son has a uh, dogwood tree that got in his front yard, put in his front yard last spring. It did great all summer. It actually came back in the spring and flowered, and then some point after flowered, like all the leaves are now gone. It looks as dead as anything. Uh, there's no chance of that thing coming back, right? you got any not, no.
3: If it's lost all I mean, its leaves, I'd say it's dead because it's it never really got well established.
17: You think it just never got well established? Right. All right. The best time to plant a tree is fall anyway, right? Exactly. Or not? Right. Okay. And yeah. my question on my banana trees that I put in every year, and they have more, I put them in this year May 1st. And nothing was coming up until about two days ago. About two thirds of them, I saw growth. Does it take that long? It takes over a month. It just
3: depends upon individual circumstances. So, Uh, could
17: I put them in earlier than May first next year? Not really.
3: uh, you you can, but you're just taking a big chance to do that.
17: Okay, so even if they're below ground, if you have a freeze, it can affect them?
3: Right. Well, I mean, it's not going to f- hopefully not freeze that hard, I wouldn't think.
17: Right. But you would think May 1st is a good time to put them in, in right. general?
3: Yeah, well, you ha- All right. uh, close to where I live, I have this house that I call the Canna Banana Farm. And they're bananas, this is just, you know, it's a residential circumstance. The guy's great with plant material. And his bananas are probably just now really starting to show some growth. They may be about, uh, oh, 12 or 14 inches. And uh, so okay. don't be don't get into a big panic.
17: Great. Does he leave his
3: in over winter? No, he takes his inside. But okay. uh, I mean, some of his cannas he's leaving outside, but not the bananas. Thank you. See you next week.